0: Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast, where you can find a new episode released every Thrive Thursday. I am a current clinical psychology graduate student, passionate about all things to do with mental health, relationships, healing, self-reflection, and other topics that influence us in our everyday lives. I created this podcast to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life and to share insightful and honest conversations with everyday individuals and informed professionals. Although the show is not a replacement for therapy, I hope the conversations had can inspire you to look within, to practice self-compassion, to gain more awareness, and to trust the process of your unique journey. If you resonate with the message of Trust and Thrive, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. You can also stay connected by following me on Instagram at Trust and Thrive. Thank you for being here. Now let's get right into this week's episode. Welcome back to Trust and Thrive. I'm your host, Tara Mont, and I'm really excited to share this week's episode. I specifically love the topic of codependency and relationships, and so this week's episode focuses on codependency, healing from codependency, understanding what love addiction is, and kind of breaking some misconceptions around codependency, because I think that term is thrown around a little too often. If someone's needy, if someone's close to their partner, they may think they're codependent when that's not the case. It's a way more serious and deeper issue, and the root of it comes from Alcoholics Anonymous and being with a partner who has an addiction. So we dive deep more into understanding what that looks like, the importance of working on ourselves, and more. So To introduce this week's guest, her name is Sherry Gaba. Sherry is a licensed psychotherapist and life coach who helps people cope with codependency, addictions, trauma, and mental health issues. As a leading expert on addiction and recovery, Sherry's appeared on VH1 Celebrity Rehab, CNN, Inside Edition, and more. She has been featured in Cosmopolitan, Women's World, the LA Times, and many other publications. And she also has been a guest on many Serious XM radio shows. Sherry is the author of the best-selling book, Infinite Recovery, which addresses recovery from addiction and alcoholism. She is also the author of Love Smacked, in which she addresses relationship addiction and codependency. She maintains a private practice in Westlake Village, California. She is the author of Wake Up Recovery, which is an online group coaching program that applies the principles of positive psychology, law of attraction, and mindfulness for codependence and addicts in recovery. So I really enjoyed our conversation and love learning more about the topic of codependency, healing, and recovering from it, and what that looks like. So if you would like to learn more about codependency and healing, you can follow Sherry's page on Instagram at codependencycurious, and you can visit her website, wakeuprecovery.com, which has a lot of links to becoming a member of a recovery community for codependence and toxic relationships. You can also take a quiz on codependency and find her books there. I will make sure to include all that info in the show notes of this episode, along with my Instagram page at trustandthrive. So I hope you enjoy this episode and are able to take something away, whether you learn about yourself or someone else in your life, I hope you feel heard and seen and know that you are not alone. That being said, let's get right into the conversation with Sherry. Hi Sherry, thank you so much for being on the show, I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. So happy to be here. And I love what you're doing in the world. It's awesome.
0: Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here. So can you start off telling us your story and how you got to do what you're doing right now?
1: So I know we'll probably get into codependency, love addiction. Um, originally, when I went back to graduate school, I wanted to help single parents. And that kind of morphed into ending up working in the recovery world, worked at a treatment center. My ex-husband uh, was an alcoholic. So I found myself uh being invited eventually to be on the reality TV show, Celebrity Rehab. That was a really, really uh, high rated VH1 reality docu-series. And I realized, you know, and then I started, well, then I wrote a book related to addiction. And what I noticed is that my codependency was actually taking me in the direction that I really didn't want to go in. I really wanted to work with the families, and I wanted to work with people struggling with a love addiction, which is what my uh, recovery has been love addiction and codependency. so I kind of m- morphed everything from addiction into this new brand of of helping again people struggling with uh, relationship addiction, romance addiction, codependency. I have my own history of trauma that 's how it, this occurred for me. This is how this happened for me that I ended up being in this sort of situation where I was a love addict, married multiple times, and lots of relationships. And, you know, my goal is to really uh, eradicate the shame around codependency and around love addiction. And for people that have had multiple marriages or multiple relationships, there's reasons that we end up in these situations. So that's really where I am today. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I really appreciate
0: that. And I know the term codependency, especially right now, it's thrown around so often. And I think a lot of people don't really understand where it originated from or what it really means. So can you share what codependency is in general and where it originated from, like from AA?
1: Oh, sure. So codependency really was a coin that was termed like over 30 years ago. Melody Beatty wrote the first book uh codependent no more. She actually endorsed both my books. I have two books out. The latest one is Love Smacked, and she actually endorsed it. She's a good friend and colleague of mine. Um, she, you know, understood that there was this co-addiction going on with the um, families of the addicts. But now, you know, it's really morphed into many more meanings. Um, some people don't like the word because they feel like it makes someone who loves an addict, you know, um a bad person, like what, you know, why are you why are you stigmatizing someone that is in love with an addict or a parent of an addict? So that's one movement that's been going on. And then the other movement is that codependency really is more about the loss of yourself, you know, losing yourself and someone else. Um, the focus is about alleviating, you know, your pain and your emptiness. And it really becomes self-perpetuating. So just like the addict is addicted to the drug, the codependent is addicted to the partner. And love addiction kind of comes in there too, but you can kind of peel them away because they do have some differences. I've always said you can be a codependent and not a love addict, but I think every love addict is a codependent. So- um, Really, for a codependent and a love addict, your your thinking becomes very obsessive, compulsive. Even that, even though there's this, you know, there's adverse consequences. So, in my situation, I was, you know, addicted to getting my alcoholic husband sober, and I really lost myself in the process. and And that really is codependency in a nutshell, like being like asleep to yourself and then just being obsessed and focused on that person. So I got very sick. I I got shingles, I I got staph infection, I started losing hair, I had PTSD. All these things were happening to me because I took the focus off myself. So examples might be, you know, you're calling an ex when you shouldn't be. You're sacrificing yourself. You might even be sacrificing your finances. My mother is a codependent, and she actually got involved in a relationship with a con man, and basically he was trying to get to her finances. So you're very vulnerable when you need to be with someone to fill up that empty void. Thank goodness that man is no longer in her life. But it was, you know, I talk about it because really codependency can be really detrimental on so many levels and it hurts families as well. So, you know, you basically lose your values to be with someone else. Um, you become controlling, you, be, you, there's a lot of jealousy, a lot of fear. And so that's why I think codependency really can be referred to as an addiction. Um, you know, it's characterized by symptoms that can vary on a continuum. It can be mild, it can be severe. There's often denial. Denial is a huge piece because if you give up the idea of being able to fix this person you want to be with, then you have to give up this person. So people will slip into denial because they really want this person to, to change. So that's, that's a huge hallmark of codependency and love addiction. And it's an inability to control or abstain from um, compulsive, you know, obsessing uh, this type of thing. You spend a lot of time thinking about that person. You try to control that person. It's it's like I said, it's just like the drug addict, you know, wanting their drug. Um, your other activities in your life suffer because you're so focused on this other person. So you just continue to have interpersonal problems. And um, I know for me, I was in a very codependent love addicted relationship with my ex-husband. And when we finally did divorce, um, you know, I was like, who am I? You know, where are my friends? You know, here I was a successful therapist worked in the recovery field, was supposed to know all this stuff. And yet I found myself in this, codependent dilemma. And um, I I just want to help people know that there's hope and you can get through it. Um, And so that is my little story. And that's really what codependency is in my my opinion, but lots of people have different definitions. Thank you for sharing
0: that. And before we get into love addiction, I know you explain that with codependency for example you thought oh well I'm aware of it so like I wouldn't be someone to be in that position but that's important to realize because I think a lot of people may have those misconceptions so are there some myths and misconceptions you hear about codependency like oh you have to be in the most vulnerable space or you have to really be struggling and how a lot of people may fall into
1: that without realizing I think anyone can fall into codependency, especially if you have early trauma, which I know we're going to get into. I mean, anybody, I mean, even though I was this very successful, um, highly functioning individual, I hadn't dealt with my trauma piece. And once I did, and I really embodied me, and I was able to uh, be in the moment, be mindful, understand what was happening in my body when I had feelings, get out of a disassociated sort of state of living. I was always on autopilot, you know, it was always like, Was a single mom, and then I, you know, went back to school, and then I got my degree, and then I wrote a book, and then I got on TV, and it's my life was this series of distractions, really. And once you like peel away those distractions, whatever they are, I mean, they could be food, they could be sex addiction, they could be exercise, they could be internet gaming, shopping, spending. Whenever you peel away those distractions, you know, you're kind of stuck with you. I mean, that's what we say to addicts, you know, at once they get rid of the drugs and alcohol, there, there they are. So for me, once I kind of removed some of these distractions to the level that they were at and I you know was okay doing this really deep trauma work I finally was able to uncover my issue around codependency and love addiction so I think it can happen really it happens to most people that have not dealt with early trauma that that is my opinion
0: mm-hmm. that totally makes sense too and before we get into connecting trauma with codependency can you describe um, love addiction because I know we've been bringing that up.
1: Yeah, so love addiction is a process addiction. It's a lifestyle addiction. So instead of it being like a substance addiction, it's actually what they call a process, lifestyle, or soft addiction. And I mentioned some other ones earlier, but, you know, like internet, gaming, exercise, food, those are all process addictions. And so for a love addict, when a breakup occurs, the addictive lover longs for that attachment and pleasurable feeling of the lost relationship, just as the drug, drug user craves a drug. So it's kind of like the love adage is really an anxious attachment type. Now, I don't know if that's in any books anywhere. Again, this is my theory, because I, I really think a love addict does have an anxious attachment because they have to be with somebody. And then when they're not, they're very uncomfortable. So there's a lot of talk out there on Instagram and in the the media about this anxious attachment thing or social media, but it really is love addiction at the heart of it. And really what that means is an over adapting to what others want. You don't have any boundaries. You have fear of letting go. You have fear of the unknown. You attempt to change others. You need others to feel whole. You look for others for affirmation and worth you fear abandonment, you have withdrawal symptoms. So we actually give up who we are out of fear. We might lose someone or need their approval.
0: And so for someone listening to this who may be very passionate in their relationships and they really care and they're really trying and they think, oh, maybe I'm a love addict or maybe I just really care. What would you say is the differentiation between um, having a love addiction and just being someone who you know cares and wants to try in their relationships?
1: Just like the addict will give up everything for his drugs and he or her will like their life will spin out of control it'll just be unmanageable if your life is unmanageable like for instance mine was unmanageable being so obsessed with trying to fix and get my husband sober that's that's addiction right there so like if you're dating and you're obsessing and when is he going to call and you only feel good when he calls or when is he going to text and if he doesn't text you get really upset and you feel really you know it's almost like this other person is your your lifeline you know you need to be your own lifeline when someone else becomes your lifeline and everything is this external reward system that you need to feel okay inside of you then you're probably dealing with codependency or love addiction or whatever addiction you're dealing with
0: mhm and do you think that the media and you know stories we've seen growing up uh, disney stories or just stories in general of Um, people falling in love so quickly and being so enmeshed? Do you think that really plays into why some people may struggle with that?
1: Because my granddaughter is going to be five and I was like looking at her sheets the other day and they're like princess sheets. Everything is princess and unicorns, but the princess thing, there's still always this character. I mean, I was watching with her, um, you know, for any of those moms out there, I was watching Leap, I was watching, there's always this guy in the picture. And I mean, that's fine, but, you know, are we still like, Going, are we still teaching our children, you know, that Prince Charming is going to save you? Because that's really what I grew up with. I know I'm probably, you're probably a millennial in your 20s. I'm much older than you. (laughs) So when I grew up, it was like, you know, if you weren't married and and that was one of the problems for me is if you're nothing, if you're not married, you're nothing, if you're not in a relationship, Um, what's wrong with you, why, you know, what's new? Oh, what's new? Have you met somebody? And it was such pressure. And I, I think the media is still, you know, sort of carrying on that tradition of like, you really need to be with someone to be happy. I mean, you know, look at all the love songs, you know, if you listen to any love song, it's always really about codependency, you know, I can't live without you kind of thing, or love is a drug or, you know, whatever the song is. Um, Yeah, I think the media really does contribute to this. And I'm sorry, because it is 2021. And I wish it was a little different that you know, like, like, you know, why aren't there lesbian people they can fall in love with? Why is it always a prince? Why couldn't it be another princess? Or, I mean, you know, there should just be other options out there. Or maybe you're going to be happy ending up, you know, just on your own. I mean, look, I, I'm not against relationships. I think being in love is awesome, and having a healthy relationship is awesome. And you know, I think we can be uh, happy in or in a relationship or without a relationship. But for me. I couldn't be, I could not be happy without someone. And that's what I want to help people with is that you can feel whole and happy without someone. And I think when you're in that place, you're really going to attract a really awesome person because otherwise you're just going to kind of go for the bottom feeders because you'll take anybody because you don't want to be alone.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I know we're going to get into trauma and codependency. And I was just watching a movie from like 10 years ago. Like The main character was like, oh, you're emotionally damaged. Well, I'm emotionally damaged too. Like They romanticized this odd idea that they like haven't worked through their trauma. And I definitely believe that we don't have to be perfectly healed to be in a relationship. I don't think we're ever perfectly healed. And I realize it's a lifelong process and journey. But I also do see this idea romanticized that there is that one savior and you know you're chasing that emotionally unavailable partner and hoping you can change them change the the bad boy you know like you see in movies this leaves a lot of people feeling like their sense of worth is defined by how they change someone else or if they can change someone else how that person shows up for them even if that person can't be there for them in the ways they need And so I think often we see that dynamic played out. We see in media or movies, the person who needs to be saved and the one person who saves them and is so different and everything's great. And I think this leaves many people having unrealistic expectations that may be really unhealthy and may seem romantic at first because it's romanticized in media. But if anything, it can leave those feeling drained and even codependent. So in general, can you maybe touch on how trauma connects to the relationships we choose and even codependency?
1: So what you were just describing was a trauma bond. So a trauma bond is finding someone that sort of you meet your match, where you both have similar, um, issues, usually around abandonment or neglect or something that you both went through. And there becomes this, you know, I love the way, um, I heard a therapist describe it as two little babies in a, in a crib together, you know, I mean, that's really this, this trauma bond that you have, um, only you're now adults in the crib together. And that of course is, is not going to work because you've lost, you know, you're, you're, you are you have not differentiated, you know, you, you need, you need to have your own individual, Sense of self. So I was uh, in an incubator for the first two and a half months of my life. I didn't bond with my mother. I didn't nurture. You know, there was no nurturing. There was no attachment. I was really set up to be a love addict, codependent, because I literally was not held from by my mother for two and a half months. So we know that early, early, early attachment will absolutely affect your adult attachment styles. So that's what happened to me. So when you don't receive what you need as a child. Your emotional growth is stunted and it, you know, is stunted. And if you're neglected or abused or had an emotionally unavailable parent, or you become a little adult or a parentified child, this will set you up for difficult adult relationships. So often victims of trauma have a very false reality of themselves. They don't even know their selves because nobody mirrored it for them. That's how you become a self is you have this bonding that occurs and then it's mirrored to you, and then you become a self. So, what happens is they don't trust their emotions, they second guess, they can't access what they really feel. Um, and the reason being is if you were invisible as a child due to neglect or abuse or unavailable parenting, maybe your parents were addicts or alcoholics, there's no one to acknowledge you. And you learn at an early age, your feelings don't even count because they weren't heard or validated. So, you become other focused. And that's where a codependent is born or a love addict. You become other focused because that's what you you learn growing up is that you didn't count. You were nothing. You were in the ethers of nothingness. So that it became everything outside yourself. So you learn to focus on everything else around you rather than your own needs, which is at the foundation of really discovering your true self. That's how you become an authentic self. So um, if you don't have these intimate relations, if you don't have an intimate relationship with yourself, it's really going to be difficult to have an intimate relationship with another and all your relationships become mm-hmm. other which is at really the heart of codependency, you know. I I used to say, oh, I just picked unavailable partners; they're all unavailable. Well, there's a reason I picked them. I was unavailable to me, like I wasn't connected to me. If you if you're in a disassociated self and you're always looking outside yourself, you don't have a relationship with yourself. And so, how are you going to have a relationship with somebody else? I mean, nobody else can complete you. You really, really just no matter how you slice it, you've got to have a connection with yourself first. Trauma carries a lot of profound sense of shame. You know, shame is really rooted in childhood programming. And that's often if you come from a dysfunctional or, or family, you're going to have this shame factor. So the shame and the faulty programming you receive in childhood, then it results in low self-esteem, not feeling good enough, not belonging, anger, resentment, depression, anxiety. And mostly it results in putting everything and everyone else's needs before your own. So you have difficulty receiving in a relationship. And, and that's another hallmark of codependency or love addiction is, are you having difficulty receiving? I mean, there's no question if you are a love addict, codependent, have anxious attachment styles, you're going to be more prone to picking you're going to be more vulnerable. So you're going to pick the person out there that is the predator. You're going to find the narcissist that's going to want you. You're going to find the addict that's going to want you. You're going to find the con person that's going to want you. I mean, this is what you're going to attract. People that can gain something from you and you, and your whole sense of self is being needed. So it's a natural you know, dance that forms you know, with these type of people. So you just got to be really, really careful um, if you haven't worked out this trauma.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I'm curious if you've noticed, too, that you, if you maybe witness codependency with your family, say you have two parents, whether they're codependent or a parent is codependent with their child, maybe that child passes it on to someone else and they connect with someone else in that same way if they've been so enmeshed, for example, with one parent. Is that a dynamic you see often?
1: All kinds of, of enmeshment. There could be the single mother, single parent uh, meshment like I was a single mother so my daughter and I, um, I I wouldn't say we have an unhealthy enmeshment but but she's had to be really clear with her boundaries and so have I so we've had to work at it because that's a really interesting relationship but it, it's mostly very healthy um, my mother was sort of an untreated codependent because she came from a lot of you know abuse she was neglected so she was like a codependent you know from the get-go as well And then my dad really, you know, was sort of the protector type. He was wonderful. So he would take, he took care of her. And then when my dad died, and I'm just using my family as an example, because what happened is then my mother really felt like she was nothing again when my dad died. And that's why she was so vulnerable to picking this horrible human being that came into her life. So, yes, there's all these dynamics that can play from grandparents to grandchildren. I mean, honestly, my grandmother was a love addict, my mother was, my grandmother was a love addict, codependent, so was my mother, and so was I. My daughter has broken the mold. I think my daughter has really, you know, she has her own stuff because she came from a divorced family, but... She really is a secure person.
0: Yeah. And you brought up boundaries too, which I think is really important. Um, Can you explain how maybe a codependent may struggle with boundaries or may
1: not even know what that looks like? You have to know where your line in the sand is, you know, what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And the truth is we know what doesn't feel right, you know, um, I've had relationships where I was with someone that might have been verbally abusive or had anger issues. And my body would like tell me like, no, no, this is not what I want. It it would just, it just knew, you know, instinctively and intuitively. So yeah, you have to know your boundaries, but you can't know your boundaries if you don't know yourself. So even though I would have all this intuition, then it would be like, um, but I don't trust myself. So that's why it all goes back to you've got to come back to yourself in order to trust yourself so you know what your preferences are so you can set boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, in general, I think many people may struggle to realize they're codependent if they think, well, my household was like decent, you know, I have a job, I, my whole life isn't necessarily a mesh. They may not think that. They're the specific, for example, stereotype or role that they imagine a codependent would be. So can you maybe share some factors into what it looks like to be codependent and how one may know if they actually are?
1: Well, I have about 30 things listed here. So you're <laughs> Great. right I don't want me to go through all of them, but I can go through a few of them. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you come from a dysfunctional home where there's trauma. Um, there was very little nurturing. Um, so you end up becoming a caregiver. In order to, you know, appease someone because you don't want to be alone, Um, you were never able to uh, change your parents. So then you end up trying to, you know, change others. So you're very attracted to emotionally unavailable people, love avoidance, narcissists, addicts. You're terrified of abandonment. You'll do anything to hold on to a relationship in order to not feel the painful, excruciating feelings of abandonment. And that's really. That was my issue. I didn't want to be abandoned because as an infant I was abandoned. So like, if you're someone that had parents that neglected you or abused you or weren't available or were cold or seemed like a normal family, but you know, they weren't really there, they were sort of detached and you're going to keep picking emotionally unavailable people. You know, you'll do anything. There's nothing that you won't do for this person. It won't, you'll spend money on them. You'll do whatever they want to save them. Um, you're just accustomed to lack of love, you know? That's another thing I would really ask yourself is, do I receive? I think I said that earlier. If you can't receive, then there's probably some issue going on for you in terms of codependency. You'll take far more than 50% of the responsibility, guilt, and blame in a relationship. So being with a narcissist, they love to blame you, you know, or if you're with an addict and they're, you know, when I say addict, I mean an untreated addict, someone that isn't in recovery, you know, they're, they're happy to be a victim. So they'll blame you for everything. And, and you'll say, sure, you know, it must be my fault. Um, Usually I have really low self-esteem, Um, And you have this desperate need to control people because you couldn't control what happened early on. So, you know, because you you didn't really receive any security. So you mask your efforts in controlling others and you call it being helpful. But really what you're doing is manipulating the situation to get what you want. Um, And again, it just goes on and on. So I think that's a good start for people.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you think for codependent dynamics? I know there are many different ones, but do you think in general, because um codependent individuals may feel like they're responsible or most of the responsibility is on them do you think that's why they may stay in toxic relationships longer is that something you see often that they just struggle to leave
1: yeah they're manipulated you know like and if you don't have a great sense of self like we talked about earlier if you don't have boundaries if you don't know who you are you'll be easily manipulated i mean the thing that i see the most in codependence is guilt Lots of guilt, like, oh, if I don't do this, I mean, I literally believed that I could save my ex. And what I learned through my own work, through you know, my the programs that I you know went to, is that I am not anybody's god, I'm no one's higher power, they have their own path. So, um, yeah, guilt is a huge one,
0: and that just makes me think, like, it's so interesting how. I think everyone, you know, has a different definition of love based on what they've seen. Like in your household, if someone doesn't respect a boundary or they do things you don't like and they say, oh, well, I love you or I do this because I love you, you start to associate love with whether it's emotional abuse, physical abuse, a lack of boundaries. And so do you think in general, redefining your own definition of love and figuring out your values is important and understanding your codependency?
1: Yeah. What is your line in the sand? If you're going over your line in the sand and you're not being true to yourself, then there's probably an issue. I mean, I'm not talking about not being a giving person, a compassionate person. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with loving an addict or even a narcissist for that matter. If you're, you know, want to stay with someone who has these issues, but you're taking care of you, then go at it. I am not a person to tell you to leave this relationship. I'm just telling you that if your life is feeling out of control and unmanageable and you are obsessed with that other person and you've lost yourself in the process, it's, you know, you're just, you're going to go down a really it's progressive. You know, for me, it was progressive. I mean, it, I mean, I, I was like really sick emotionally, physically, spiritually. So that's when it's a problem. But if you're perfectly happy with this person and you're able to have your own life, you know, a lot of people just, you know, stay in these situations, but they have their own lives. They know what their boundaries are. I personally would not want to be in that type of relationship because for me, I want someone that I respect and can trust and I don't have to have, you know, um, someone I have to sort of rescue or take care of. You know, I'm not into that. But there are people out there that are like, yeah, I'm just going to let you know that if it's getting unmanageable, there might be an issue. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, so for someone who is listening to this and may think, oh, like I may be in a codependent relationship or they're realizing that's a dynamic they may have been struggling with, um, what first steps can they take? I know we talked about, you know, working through trauma and or just in general, what could they do to have some hope if that's a dynamic they're so used to?
1: Well, just being here on your podcast is a first step because they're becoming conscious of who they are, what kind of relationship they're in. Is it the best for them, for their mental health, for their physical and spiritual well-being? You know, what are the what are their belief systems about relationships? Have they looked at their childhood trauma? Um, you know, these are all really, really important things to look at. But the good news is symptoms are reversible. And people don't, you know, generally seek help until there's a crisis, like for myself, until my alcoholic kept relapsing. I didn't even... I mean, I'd had therapy for years, but it was the trauma therapy that was the turning point for me. So, you know, recovery begins by being on a show like this, learning from experts, uh, education, um, getting out of your denial, really getting out of denial. That's a huge piece. Reading about codependency, there's so much online. I mean, they can go to my um, Instagram, which is codependency curious, codependency curious, and there's so much there they can learn. They can get, find a good therapist, a trauma therapist. They can, they can attend 12-step programs. They can join my program that I think we're going to talk about at the end, Wake Up Recovery, which is a group of people struggling with codependency and love addiction, and we're like a tribe, and we support each other. And it's a fantastic group of people because, you know, they're really going on this success path from where they were to where they want to go, and it's, it's awesome to watch. So, you know, in recovery, you know, and, and in my group, you gain hope. And the focus shifts from the other person to yourself. Um, There may be different stages of your recovery, like, you know, early, middle, late. Um, In the middle stage, you begin to build your own identity, self-esteem. You begin to become assertive. You can express your feelings, your wants, your needs. You really learn self-responsibility and boundaries and self-care. In psychotherapy, you're going to deal with the PTSD and in the later stages, um, happiness and self-esteem will not depend on others. You'll gain the capacity for both autonomy and intimacy. And I guarantee you, you'll have better relationships because you will learn how to be intimate with yourself. Um, you're going to feel more powerful. You're going to have more self-love. You're going to feel expansive and creative with the ability to generate all the goals and dreams that you've always wanted to uh, you know, have happen for you.
0: That's amazing. And for someone who Is struggling with maybe the shame aspect of it and they think oh I asked for this or I'm the problem they still feel that what would you tell to them especially if they're in a relationship a romantic relationship or with other loved ones who are guilting them into not changing they want to keep them that same way and they're saying you don't care about me anymore or you're not trying or you're giving up on the relationship what would you say to them
1: the same question earlier. It's just about the guilt and just realizing that part of codependency is guilt. And the question is, am I being manipulated? I mean, is this about him or is this about me or are they trying, you know, and then what is it about me that wants to stay hooked in to somebody that's a victim? Like, what is it about me that I would want to be with someone who's trying to manipulate me? Um, it, it, they have to, it's very deep. They have to do the, they have to do the work they have to uncover is, you know, because the part of the problem for codependence is the second guessing. And the second guessing is because they don't trust themselves and they don't trust themselves because they don't know themselves. So it all gets back to really like self-love, you know, self-knowing, knowing knowing who you are, being able to be in your body comfortably without having to distract. Because if you're really insecure and you need someone to to feel okay, then whatever they tell you, you're going to listen to and you're just going to abide by because you don't want to be alone. So it's very important that you do this early work. You don't have to leave this person. Just do some self-reflection, get some therapy, join my group, start understanding, and then grow from that, transform from that, and then you'll know what to do.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because I think some people may think, oh, well, I mean, obviously, depending on the situation, but some people may think, oh, well, I have to leave all these relationships or end these friendships or end all these dynamics instead of maybe focusing on themselves first, and then they may fall into the same pattern. Is that something you see often of like, oh, well, that person's now the problem, and now I have to, you know, I just need to change relationships, but it may be the same pattern if you never work on yourself?
1: Well, that's basically why I wrote my book, Love Smacked, is that it was the you know, different person, same face, you know, different face, different name, but same person. You know, the problem was me, not them. I mean, I picked who I picked and the reasons I picked. And it was, it was all that, you know, trauma and the fear of abandonment is what drove my choices. So until I was going to really unearth, and I wasn't, I didn't start doing this real heavy work until I was in my fifties. So you know hopefully your audience is all different ages because it's never too late you can be in your 20s 30s 40s 50s and 60s and do this this deeper dive into you know why do i keep why do i keep picking these kinds of partners that are unavailable or narcissists or addicts or you know what it, you know and then if you're in that relationship okay i'm in it this is who i'm with i'm not really ready to let go that's okay again start working on yourself figuring it out figuring out who you are. Once you know who you are, you'll know what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And you'll know, like, I know who I am at this point. I know I don't want to be with an addict. I don't want to be with a narcissist. I don't want to be with someone who is, you know, wants to con me or manipulate me or control me or abuse me. And I don't want to abuse, control, manipulate anyone else. So once you figure all these things out and you feel so good about yourself, you'll know.
0: Definitely. And I think that relates to being authentic. Because if you don't know yourself, I imagine it's hard to live your most authentic life. And that's what this whole show is about is being authentic and living your most authentic life, which looks different for everyone. And so do you think you can be codependent and radically authentic if if you're so enmeshed with someone else and you don't know yourself?
1: Um, That's a really good question. And so being radically authentic is all about being true to you. It's about knowing what you want, what your preferences are, having a clear sense of what healthy boundaries look like. If you are cowtailing to others for approval, validation, acknowledgement, to feel your emptiness or the fear of being alone, you will always settle in your relationships and you will give up being the authentic person you're meant to be. So until you fix you you are going to keep attracting people that are probably not good for you, or you'll keep settling for less. Or, you know, someone who's really secure, they don't want to be with someone who's really insecure because their job isn't to make you secure. So, yes, you must be – you really cannot be both, I guess, is to answer the question, is that you really need – to find your true authentic self. And you know, the word is so thrown around. Well, what is true self? It's it's not it's not a hobby, it's not a job, it's not anything on the outside, it's not where you live, it's not, you know, where you travel or what you eat. It's who are you on the inside? Who who are and the connection to you on the inside, embracing you, you know, embracing and embodying the you of you. That's really what it is. And then you can be authentic, and then you can find the right person. Definitely, and I I
0: just wanted to go back real quick because we've touched on this idea of you know how you were as a child, and maybe you were a people pleaser. You grew up feeling like you need to needed to be the mediator, whatever it is. Do you think those roles we play really affect how we are in relationships and how? In general, I guess I want to ask if it's normal, you think, to go through that grief process because you may be letting go of parts of yourself that you felt were your identity before. Even if they were unhealthy, even if they didn't serve you or benefit you, it does come with releasing who others expected you to be. Do you think that's part of especially codependency recovery, realizing you may lose relationships, you may lose people who don't understand what you're going through?
1: Sure. What I would say is just like any addiction some of the, the behaviors and the defense mechanisms that you have used worked for you as a child. You had no choice. You had to be in denial. If you accepted what your reality was, you might be, a, you know, you would just, it would be really uncomfortable. Um, I even say to alcoholics, maybe you had to drink because it was so unbearable, but these things are no longer working for you. So now it's time to change. And yes, there is a grieving. Anytime you let go of old patterns, old behaviors, if you give up drinking or give up obsessive thinking or give up codependent relationships, I mean, even dating is different. I'm single and dating is very different as a love addict in recovery. I don't get the highs and the lows when I date. I'm just, I am looking consciously for slow and steady. I don't want that, you know, crash and burn, right? I want like, oh, this is a nice person. They seem like they've done some work on themselves. Hmm, this might be something that could actually turn into something. Not like, oh God, I really want to be with this person. They're so cute. They smell so good. I mean, basically my relationships were all like, you look good, you smell good, I want you. So I mean, honestly, yes, I, I you, you will grieve those old patterns because sure, like that was fun being in those highs, but they always ended bad. So I'd rather give up the high of the love addiction. Like I have a friend and she says, you know, if I have to just be with a regular person and I don't get that, that, oh my God, high, I'd rather be alone the rest of my life. I don't know if that's a great way to think because what she's asking for is she, she just doesn't want to give up her drug. You know, she doesn't want to give up the drug of the high of some, you know, amazing guy. And it's like, okay, well, All right, if that's what you want, but has that ever worked for you? I mean, in my case, it has not worked for me. So I say, yes, there is an absolute grieving process. I definitely have had to grieve the high of love of what I thought love was.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up because I've heard many people say, well, they're boring or it's not as exciting or I don't feel the spark like right away after a first date, for example. And I think, you know, we may learn, like I said, with media or movies or just examples we've seen that we have to feel something so intense right away. We have to like Romeo and Juliet. We have to take our own lives to live with this or to be with this person we barely know. Um, And so it's like this very extreme level of ups and downs. You know, if they're healthy and if they're maybe a secure person, they may seem boring to someone who's not used to that dynamic.
1: Right. You know, I I don't believe in that high anymore. I think that people, I mean, you do have to have some sort of chemistry. You have to be somewhat attracted to them, of course. I mean, you can't be with someone that absolutely is, there's no like, nothing, you know, there's nothing, you know, there has to be some kind of spark, but it just, I think it has to be a spark that is the potential to grow. Like it, I don't think it should be all the way up at a, you know, a hundred. I think it can be, you know, Oh, this is like a 20 or 10 You know, nights, but a hundred, you know, there's going to be a crash and burn. It's not even, it's it's probably a delusion. It's probably Not real. It's probably just, you know, physical chemicals. I mean, that's what animals are. Animals just go by, you know, chemicals. We are humans. We get to use our brain. So I think what we have to navigate through is using your brain like, oh, this is a nice guy. He has good values. He's, in other words, find the things that are important for everlasting love. Find that sexy. You know, like I had a date recently and I think he's, you know, he's worked on himself. He's, got really good values, he's really devoted to his family. I mean, that to me is a somewhat of a spark. Is it the same spark that I had when I was younger and I was looking for that high? Absolutely not. But that's what I think is everlasting love. But of course, I'm not saying though that if someone out there had this, you know, really hot relationship start and now they've been together for years and years, lucky them. I mean, I'm sure that's what my parents had. You know, they were crazy about each other and they were together over 60 years. So I'm not ruling out that you can find someone that it's hot and heavy in the beginning and it works out. I just think for the most part, if it's hot and heavy, we have to really see, is this something that's trying to hook us into redoing our childhood? Is this something that's trying to fix what we never got? You know, it's 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 very complicated, but... I think that we have to just use more of our brain and not just our hormones. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> and, that's, and that's so tough, but you brought up such good points to that. It obviously is different for everyone. Um, and so in general, what, do you, what would you say is the difference? I know every relationship looks so different, but what is the difference between being in love and having an unhealthy obsession over your partner, maybe?
1: Oh, I think in healthy relationships, couples first meet and there's some kind of spark, They form an attachment, but not an unhealthy one. But love matures and it becomes less intense, but much more secure. So I think there is a little intensity. Sure, there's gotta be some chemistry, some intensity, but it's not over the top intensity. But then it matures and then it it develops alongside love. So I think people with love addiction, they never get past that first stage of that, oh my God, falling in love. So they, they end up idealizing the person they're in love with They never really feel secure enough to trust them. They become dependent on the person they love in a really unrealistic way because they've looked for this person to fill a void, hoping somehow this person will create a kind of happily ever after. Them, it's really unrealistic to expect anyone else to create a satisfying life for you. So inevitably, you're going to be disappointed that that person is supposed to do that for you. Um, The relationships are ultimately never truly satisfying, yet they can't seem to live without them. So. They're really not based on a healthy bond. They're more on a psychological bond. So I just go back to simply saying, slow and
0: steady wins the race. And do you think for love addicts specifically, um, or someone struggling with love addiction, do you see this more after the honeymoon phase? Because they may think, oh, well now everything's going wrong or it's not the same and maybe they have to start drama or they feel like they're not getting enough because it's just you know turns into kind of the real aspects of a relationship and point in the work and some people may think well if we love each other that should be enough
1: no a lot of people leave at that point if they're a love addict you know or if they're um or if they're a narcissist like oh i don't need this anymore i'm not getting what i need here anymore so let's just go find somebody else and you're just going to find the same person Obviously, if you're with someone and they're cheating, they're a drug addict without recovery, they're abusing you. That's like a no win. But other issues probably can be worked out if if there was this initial attachment that was healthy, um, there was you know trust. There was people are going to fall. They're going to ebb and flow. Love is going to ebb and flow. It's not always going to be up here, and it's not always going to be down here. So. Yeah, I mean, does that kind of answer your question? That people, I think, are looking for the next best thing. Everybody, everybody wants an instant fix. That's the world we live in. We we live on with technology and texting and internet, and everybody wants that high. You know, everyone's looking, and a lot of times it's it's because they haven't really dealt with who they are.
0: Definitely, and I think that goes both ways. You know, some people maybe codependent stay in unhealthy relationships because they think they have to do everything to fix it and then i can imagine the other side of it where people leave right away because they think oh well if we loved each other it should work i don't have to put in
1: any work um it should be easy there's no one shoe fits all i mean I, i don't want to judge anybody because everybody uh life is messy and everybody comes from different roads like you could be with an addict and still be happy you can you know, in other words, I am the last person to tell you, well, you are in a good relationship, you're in a bad relationship. I think all I want to really say is that, do you know yourself? Do you like yourself? Can you be with yourself? Or are you expecting somebody else to to give you what you can give yourself? And if you're looking for someone else to give you what you can't seem to give yourself, then you're probably in an unhealthy situation.
0: Exactly. And I really appreciate you mentioning that because every dynamic is so different. And I've seen in the past, you know, other people tell certain friends like, oh, we'll just get out of it as if it's so easy. And that's not how every relationship works. And in general, for codependents, you know, like you said, they may be with someone who is harming them or a narcissist, but then they may be with someone secure and it's something they need to work through uh, even more on their own. And so lastly, what advice would you give to someone who? Is a codependent and whether or not there was someone who is um, respectful and understanding of them, what would you tell them if they feel like they have no hope
1: in their dynamic? I wouldn't be a therapist if I didn't believe in change. I mean, that's my whole work that we all have the possibility to transform. And I did even late in life. So there's always hope, there's always transformation. I know it's painful. I, I get it. I had, you know, a lot of empty, painful feelings inside of me, and it was a lot of work to get out of that that place, but you can, anyone can do it. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And there's always, always hope. And I'm sorry that whatever happened in your early childhood was so painful, but I know there is, there's a way through it there. Absolutely. And so just, you know, if you, if you really feel like you need deep, deep support, find a great trauma therapist, uh, you know, someone that does EMDR somatic experiencing, that's something that I offer. Um, you want to find, um, a great support group. Very important to find a support group. And hopefully you'll look in the show notes at my support group. I, right now I'm offering it for a dollar just to check it out. And you want to be with people that get you, you know, they're going to, they're going to love you till you love yourself. That's really the truth. So I think between outs, you know, between a group of supportive people by your side, a really great therapist, I think there's always hope.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'll definitely include all your info in the show notes, but I just wanted to ask if there's anything lastly um, you wanted to share before we end, anything coming up for you and your work and social media pages you want to share where people can follow you.
1: So definitely check out my book, Love Smacked on Amazon. Uh, Check out at Codependency Curious. I always do all my updates there. I have all kinds of free quizzes there and free ebooks. And um, I have my wake up recovery program for codependents and love addicts. I think that's a great start just going to the Instagram page. So all kinds of free stuff out there too.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Sherry. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure this will help so many people. Thank you. You're welcome. hope you all enjoyed that episode if you'd like to learn more about codependency love addiction relationship addiction you can follow sherry at codependency curious on instagram and you can also visit her website wakeuprecovery.com i really enjoy talking about the connection between our childhood and codependency and coping mechanisms we learn and how a lot of our relationship patterns can derive from obviously what we see growing up even childhood trauma and how we can redefine what love looks like. Because we've discussed this in many past episodes, but we often look for relationships that either fulfill something that we didn't have growing up, or that look similar to the relationships we witnessed growing up. Healing is a lifelong journey. There's hope. So once again, I do recommend Codependence Anonymous. If you feel like this is something you struggle with or relate to, it's free. You can literally show up to different meetings. So I will include their link as well in the show notes of this episode, along with Sherry's info. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Trust and Thrive. And if you've been enjoying the show and want to leave some feedback, you can reach me at Trust and Thrive, And you can also Leave a review and rating of the show on Apple iTunes, which helps so much. And I want to thank anyone who has left a review. It means the world. And I love hearing feedback. So thank you in advance. And just thank you for being here, for listening this far, and for being passionate about your growth. I know that having these conversations on the show has helped me feel less alone, has helped me realize that other people are going through the same thing, maybe in a different way. Maybe it doesn't look like my specific experience, but it's similar and it's been a reminder that I'm not alone. You're not alone. There's always someone who understands what you've been through. So I hope whether it's this episode or any other episode of the show, you felt seen and heard and have realized that you are not alone on this journey. And so that being said, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and a great rest of your May. I know in LA, the weather's getting nicer. There's more hope. People are vaccinated. And so there's so much happening in the world too that is just so heavy. And so I hope you take care of yourself and know that you don't have to go through your emotions and feelings alone. So I'm sending you all love. I'm wishing you a wonderful rest of your week. And I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.